You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 227 and 228 of reading and talking through the Bible in a year, continuing the great oral tradition that has been around since Adam and Eve. That's right. I mean, since Adam and Eve, there have been humans talking about their creator. Since talking was a thing. Since talking was a thing. So glad you're all here today. And uh, I was just thinking, how, how cool is it that I get to play the guitar and do this at the same time? It's great. Our Old Testament reading for today is 2 Chronicles chapter 2 through chapter 7, verse 10. Welcome back to the Chronicles after a quick break into Ecclesiastes. A quick jaunt into the bowels of wisdom. Yes. So wise. We are this Solomon. now back into the narrative of what's going on with Solomon and the temple. Yeah, so quick reminder. Chronicles was written after all of Israel was taken into captivity. So you had the north was taken in by Assyria, and then the south was overwhelmed and taken away by Babylon. Yes. And now it's been 100 years or 70 years after yes. that captivity that God has used a whole series of events we'll learn about in like Nehemiah and mm-hmm. stuff like that, brought the people back where they have to rebuild the, the walls, rebuild even the temple, rebuild mm-hmm. everything, but they're going to make sure the remnants of the tribes of Israel, all confused and small they are going to uh, center their whole thing here around the temple and mm-hmm. around the line of David. And so that's why Chronicles was written. Yes. So Chronicles 2 is a big moment because Solomon is already in power. And we get to um, preparing to build the temple. Yes. He builds the temple and then he's going to dedicate the temple in today's mm-hmm. readings, right? Yeah. So he gets like super practical and mm-hmm. working out deals and figuring out who's going to work for him. Uh, I love how he burns through the uh, resident alien populace first and foremost. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's pretty casual. It's like 70,000 men who are going to just carry burdens, like yeah. carrying baskets of whatever back and forth. And then 80,000 are in the quarry. And so 70 plus 80, I don't know, what, what's 7 plus 8? 150,000? 150,000. So you yeah. need about 3,600 overseers. Yes. And he just kind of then later casually says, you know, Solomon just used all the resident aliens <laughs> to do this. <laughs> resident aliens yeah. is a term for like the foreigners who were brought in and mm-hmm. they're part of Israel and, and they're happy to, I don't know if they're happy or sad about it, yeah. but um, they have converted to the God of Israel. At some point mm-hmm. um, during David's reign. Yep. Um, and so that's who's doing a, a majority of... I also feel like there were also people from Israel that were brought into this major domestic jobs program. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the other thing. We look. I, I look at it kind of harsh, like, oh, the resident alien, he made the foreigners do it. But if you're a foreigner... You don't have a tribal allotment. Right. Where, what city is yours? What part, like what land are you living off of? Mm-hmm. It's like a gift from mm-hmm. whatever surrounding area. So really, he's created a jobs program and given it to the people who don't have land to work. Right. So in that way, he's wise. And um, then, uh, then he talks to the king of uh, Tyree. Tyree. Tyre. And 
and is like renegotiating because he worked with David and had sent David, uh, yeah. what is it, Cedar? The Cedar from Lebanon? Cedar, and then later he's going to provide like skilled yes, laborers. Yes, and then, then he asks, like, hey, my, my father already gave me some, got some skilled guys together, but do you have anyone who's just like a master at all of these things? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to send you. And he lives in Dan. Well, he his mom was from the tribe of Dan, right. and I think they were living in Naphtali. But uh, and then the, that's neither here nor there. The uh, dad was from Tyree, so you're getting kind of almost like a symbolic like union between the two nations yeah. of Tyree and Israel. Of here, here's my, and then his name is Hiram Abi, at least in Chronicles, which means my master is Hiram. Okay. And so he was probably the personal craftsman to the king. So the king's like, I have a great guy. I'll I, recommend him, and I'll let you have him, because my, my stuff's been built. Yeah, well, for, for, uh, for a her. lot of barley, wheat, wine, and oil. Right, so <laughs> basically, here's, here's the, to sum up this chapter two, it's yeah. the domestic jobs program is great. Yes. The international alliances is, are great and mm-hmm. strong. Uh, money is flowing. They're able to pay the surrounding countries. Mm-hmm. Everything is perfect. And then chapter three gets to where the site of this temple is going to be, yeah. which has great significance. It is really cool. So this is one of the few places that actually gets into this. And I think because the chronicler is going, this is kind of important. This is a really cool idea that I'm now just connecting from all these readings. And the chronicler is going, it's, we're still coming back to this site mm-hmm. after we've been destroyed as a nation. Yes. And so the site was... Mount Moriah, which is where David saw the angel of death yes. um, on the threshing floor, but it was also where Abraham took Isaac up to be sacrificed. Is it also near the place where Christ was crucified? Uh, yes, so, supposedly, yes. Supposedly, allegedly. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. So it's a historic site that is of great significance that where God, God has interacted with on several moments. You know what I like about it is that it's it's really a place where God chose. Yes. God mm-hmm. is patient. He's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm finding a way to dwell among my people. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna choose where and how and when. I'm gonna choose uh, Solomon, not David. I'm gonna choose the space and I'm gonna be with my people. And so um, this is a significant place. And then it just lists of all the lists, the gold, the precious stones, cypress, carvings, but the thing that strikes out to me is there's golden nails. Yeah. Like, things are flowing and going so well under the reign of Solomon that they have golden nails as they build, like, giant cherubim and the veil of blue and purple. It's just massive and beautiful. You're just kind of overwhelmed again with the scope of the temple. I do like, too, the difference between the chronicler's description of what's going mm-hmm. on and the and the, and the, whoever the author of Kings was. Because right. it, it feels like the author of Kings got way more caught up in the description of everything that was in the temple, probably because he actually saw yeah, Kings, it's that still stuff. There. And so the chronicler is well removed from the original temple. The and temple so has been destroyed. He's I mean, only, he's only reading mm-hmm. about it. And so he's just like, let me just sum up the uh, list of things and get to the point of there was awesome things in the temple cool. yeah he does say there's just awesome things in there and i think kind of like we look at it the chronicler is looking at it because it's gone now and remembering from the book of chronicles mm-hmm. 
uh, how massive it was. Yes. Because when you look, if, if you have a chance, you go to your Bible and try to find or look up online just dimensions of the temple, and you'll kind of see how massive like one pillar is in comparison to a human. Mm-hmm. It was really a, a seven wonder, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. I mean, it's amazing. So he then describes the altar, the sea, again, mm-hmm. the sea and uh, the big basin to wash the priest, the lampstands. Anyway, he finishes all the construction. He keeps the word of God, keeps the word of David by bringing it all in and has things dedicated. And what you get in in chapter uh, 4 is really the physical place matters. Before we get to the prayer over the people and the Mm -hmm. dedication of it, I'm just reminded, and so is the chronicler, saying, look, this is the place that God wanted to build. He wanted to do this. He made all the arrangements, and now he's getting ready to consecrate it, dedicate it, and move in. Mm -hmm. And so our response is, you know, like for in our, at least in my context, it's like, Many years ago, when I started breaking down the story of Scripture, I realized there's like three major characters. Yes. I understood God and man, but I could never understand the what's the relationship with the temple? Why is the temple such a big deal? Mm-hmm. And I realized the temple is connected to the earth. Yes. The earth is a major player, and the earth is the place where God wants to dwell with his people. Mm-hmm. And so the temple is so important because it is a special place where God meets with his people. Yes. And then you follow that into the New Testament and you realize that Jesus Christ was the temple of God and that Jesus Christ now makes us the temple of God where he meets with his people on earth and we don't die. Mm-hmm. Anyway, going on to chapter 5, he involves all the elders, he brings everyone together, Every, the well, whole nation is involved in this again. Yeah, and they're now bringing all the stuff that was at Gibeon still, like mm-hmm. so the tabernacle and everything in it is now being brought in to the temple and the Ark of the Covenant. And a point of clarification, because my own mind gets confused sometimes. Mm-hmm. I keep confusing and thinking, oh, this was what the the Babylonian captives did. And I'm like, right. oh no, they're just retelling what happened in 1 Kings. They, yeah. They're telling what happened 400 years yeah. earlier. Yes. So that's this is a literal rerun of mm-hmm. Kings. Yes. And so we can kind of, with that, glean and, and move on. But he mentions how big the uh, cherubim is. The wings mm-hmm. go over like they're massive, and so you put the ark in there. And the ark is the ark of the Lord is where His footstool is, His mm-hmm. presence. And of course, now it has poles that reach out. It's like very important, and it contains the yeah. ten words. We carry it. It contains the ten words, which at this point they're suggesting that it only contains the ten words, right. like Aaron's budding staff and the manna's gone because it got too confusing for people and or. Because the Philistines or oh, the, yeah, yeah. Um, the guys, because it stayed, it. it stayed with a lot, like yeah. went through a bunch of different places for a while. But what's a big deal is the cloud is back, baby. Yes. So after Judges and so it's been, remember, it was 400 years from like uh, Joshua mm-hmm. to David mm-hmm. and they haven't really seen the cloud since Joshua. Yeah. And so the cloud is back, baby. It's another 400 years, and it's back, and it's filling the temple, and the and cloud... They, they can't even... The priests can't even go in and minister in the tabernacle, or in the temple, because the cloud is so thick. It's too hazy, baby. Mm-hmm. But, and what the... Just a reminder, the cloud should always bring us back to... This is... It's almost like the residue of God coming to earth. Like, mm-hmm. he's up in the clouds, mm-hmm. and he's over the creation. And so when he shows up, there's just like a cloud wake behind it. Like it's just, it kind of also protects us from the glory of God. Yes. 
So the glory of God's there, and he's going to protect us because he's more bright than the sun. Yeah, he's shading us from... Yeah. So God's the there. It's pretty awesome. Chapter 6 is where now um, he's just... Solomon's going to town, blessing the people, blessing David's line, and, and just going, why have you done this? Will, will God dwell with man on earth? Mm-hmm. Because what can contain you? Like, we can't contain you. This place is massive, but still, it's too small. I'm nothing. Mm-hmm. Which is an excellent way to approach the living God, to realize everything is a gift, and this is a ridiculous miracle that the God of the universe should know the number of hairs on your head, should care about your drama, should care about your plans, and meet you. But he does. Yeah, and it, it is cool. He uh, So there is a, even an emphasis on his positioning. Yeah. So when he's talking to the Lord, he faces the ark and look and looks up. Hmm. And when he's talking to the people, he turns and actually faces the people. Maybe that should inform us in our worship. A little bit, probably. So when I'm praying to God with the people, mm-hmm. I should turn towards the altar or the cross mm-hmm. or whatever we have. And when it I'm is interesting. To people, I should turn. I yeah. Know. So because it it says uh, the Lord has said that He would dwell in thick darkness, but I have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. Then the king turned around and blessed all the people. Nice. And then he turns back around when he prays. He stands before the altar and uh, spreads out his hands and prays to God uh, to dedicate the temple. And in this dedication, it's pretty awesome. I mean, he recognizes. I see it kind of three, three parts, mm-hmm. three themes. First, he's just going, what it means, the eyes, the ears, the name of God. God is choosing to move in here. Mm-hmm. And he, that means... He's present. Mm-hmm. He hears your prayers. He sees you. He uh, He's put his name on you. He forgives you. So then he begins the prayer like, okay, when we sin against each other, hear us and forgive us. When we sin against you, forgive us. When we, when we suffer famine, we know it's because we've sinned against you. Forgive us. Mm-hmm. When we suffer defeat, forgive us. Turn from sin and be blessed forever is his prayer for the people. And Solomon, because he's so wise, and we just read uh, Ecclesiastes, is not confused. I put that together this time too. Solomon, more than anyone else, understands you are all going to do this. Mm-hmm. Not because I'm cynical about you, but because I understand I'm wise about our condition are, as yeah. sinners. And so he knows our hearts. And he's like, look, when foreigners come in because they've heard about us, Lord, bless the foreigners. Hear yes. their prayer. Like anyone who comes under your blessing and into your home and into your land and with your people, Lord, turn their hearts towards you and then forgive them. And then he basically says to the people, always turn back to the Lord, always turn your heart. And again, since this has been recorded, the the people recording this in Chronicles have seen all this happen. Like Mm -hmm. we did turn, we did. Oh yeah. I mean, he even says like, even has a whole thing about when we're exiled because we have not listened to you. And if we turn, and pray to you towards this temple in the land, hear us and return us from exile. Like, he plays it all the way out in this prayer of dedication. And he's even saying, like, because God is here, famine, military defeat, uh, fighting with one another, all this kind of stuff are kind of signs that something is wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, So turn to me. So it ends up being a model of devotion to God and reliance Mm -hmm. on the Lord. God recognizes our weakness, so does Solomon, yet... Yet, God has found a way and makes it very clear the way that we can be heard and the way he's going to speak to us. Yeah. And then, as he ends this dedication, this prayer of dedication, uh, 
we have fire from heaven come down and consume. Was that in today's reading? Yeah, seven. Seven. We go from chapter seven to ten. And oh. uh, he finishes his prayer, and fire comes down from heaven and consumes the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord fills the temple again, so the priests cannot enter because the glory of the Lord is so thick in the Lord's house. And, uh, and then they all start, then they have the whole, uh, the Levites that are set aside for singing. They sing and worship, and they actually sing a psalm of David, like according to, because again, David's arranged everything for this moment to be like, this is how it's going to go, and this is what it's going to look like, and this is what we need to do. Wow. And uh, they have this glorious like concert in front of the temple as they're watching the glory of the Lord fill it. And I love how it's the appointed days, the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their homes, joyful. Remember, joyfulness is a gift from God, mm-hmm. glad of heart for the prosperity that the Lord has granted to David and Solomon and to Israel as people. And the reoccurring prayer uh, throughout this is, for God is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the position, realizing now that God has tabernacled among us in oh. Jesus Christ. Well, it is interesting. I was just thinking about that, how the significance of the timing of the dedication was mm. during the uh, Festival of Booths, yes. which would they would all go and uh, live in tents because God lived in a tent yeah. uh, in the t- tabernacle. And so the idea of, like they're doing this with the idea of God's actually going to live with us and among us and tabernacle while us. we're on our way to a promised land. Uh-huh. Again, it's even a bigger, yeah, further purpose when you think we all are resident aliens right now mm-hmm. on our way to a new creation, and Christ has found a way to dwell among us in a yes. tent, His body, and now in our bodies that though they die, we'll live forever. Anyway, yeah, I think at the end of it, it's like the posture for us is. God is good, and his steadfast, steadfast love endures forever. Thank you, God, for finding a way to be among us. Even the greatest temple is not even beginning to contain mm-hmm. your greatness. Cool. Our New Testament reading for today is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, through chapter 11, verse 1. The more you read Paul, the more it all starts to uh, fit under some major themes, right? (laughs) Like Romans, Ephesians, Corinthians. We've been going through Ephesians at church. And you just start to... I mean, Paul is very clear. You know how they say history repeats itself? Mm -hmm. We've heard this line before, and I love it. History repeats itself because no one's listening. Mm -hmm. And as you read the letters of Paul, you realize he's saying basically... It's like there's 10 real sermons. There's 10 themes right. as a Christian. They're all in the, the 10 commandments, the 10 words. And Paul has underneath, he's even broken it down from 10, and his main one is you're united to Christ. That means you were united to each other. We're united physically, and we're united spiritually. Yes. And now we can work out all things if we understand this. The problem is we don't understand it because we're so individually oriented, mm-hmm. and we're so concerned with our own rights and are we getting what's fair? And is God holding out? Are you holding out? And, uh, and it takes a miracle from God. It takes the Spirit of God to unite us, mm-hmm. even with something like the Lord's Supper, even with the death and resurrection of Christ. You know, it's just hard. Yes. And so clearly the Corinthians, the Corinthian church was struggling with who's more free and yes. don't impede my freedom, bro. 
Yes. And Paul is just going, I'm more free than all of you, and I'm just giving it all up for the sake of unity. Yes. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who's more free and who's less free. It's, are we unified? Are we working together? Are we all under the umbrella of Christ? Have you ever heard someone say something that's really good for themselves? They're like, I work out and now I've lost 20 pounds and I feel great. Has that ever made you feel like sad when you've heard someone say someone like something's going good for them and you take it kind of the wrong way in an unhealthy way? You take it as, oh, you think I'm fat? Do I think you're ugly? I think I might have done that to people, other people. Right. Like I have. You've been like, I'm growing and learning. I'm doing this stuff. And then I think I'm inadvertently crushing Right. The person I'm talking but to. But see, I think you're crushing that person. You're not crushing them. They're crushing themselves. Right, right, because right. Because Paul literally says, I make myself a servant to all. Mm-hmm. We read that and we're crushed because it's like, I need to be more like Paul. And if I said, oh, Matt, I've lost 20 pounds and I'm eating right and I'm doing great. I'm not saying that to crush you. Right. I'm saying that to go, dude, you can do it too. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know how? Yes. And... Um, and so Paul's heart is not to go, everyone needs to be just crazy and a devout. You have to give up everything. He's like, I'm just a servant of all, very naturally, mm-hmm. because Christ has served me so amazingly. And so I, because of that, he's building off of the argument of, I don't even take money from you guys. I've given up that right. So I literally become all things to all people. Why? That the gospel might save some. And what he means is, I don't. he's not a chameleon like right. faking it. He's saying the gospel message does not change, but to a Jew, if their big thing is circumcision, I don't go in there and say, you don't have to be circumcised anymore. I'm free to go. Cool. I'm glad you understand Old Testament circumcision. Mm-hmm. I want yeah. to present the gospel. I don't want to get in the way of you hearing the gospel. If he's with Gentiles and they're like, do we have to eat all these things? We don't have to. We can eat whatever we want. He's like, I personally like the dietary laws, but I am, I'm free not to do it. And especially I'm not going to do it to get in the way of you hearing the gospel. Yeah, I think that's always getting down to. Because, again, I think the argument, the original argument was, um, can we eat the meat dedicated to idols or not? And so he's kind of using that as, hey, let's not even make that a point of contention. Like, why is that dividing anyone at this point? It's like, and he, Mm -hmm. he even says, it's like a race. And he uses this kind of Olympic, yes, uh, Olympic, athlete analogy where he's like you're going after a crown and you're training your body he, he uses this I think because he said you guys are thinking about it all wrong an Olympic athlete can say oh I want to be I want to run the marathon but can I still eat pizza and do whatever I want you're missing the point you're doing if you are going to be in the Olympics you know you're you're giving up the right to eat you're willing to give up whatever you have to give up to accomplish your you're goal. You're submitting to your trainer who mm-hmm. says, you know, you're gonna, this is going to change the way you eat, the way you train, your daily routine. Everything is going to change because you're going after a wreath to yeah. put on your head. So Paul's like, look, it's beyond, can I do this or that? And it's, we are now Olympic athletes in the body of Christ. So the question is, how do I win the race? Yeah, what's your goal? And so for Paul, his goal is, I want to tell the gospel to yeah. everyone. So I'm going to give up whatever I have to give up and be whatever I have to be to tell the gospel to as many people as possible because that's my calling and that's what I'm doing. And so he's like, you know, leaders, we eat last. We do whatever we have to. And it's not, 
um, not just for our side. I mean, he's doing this for the salvation of the lost and for the building up of God's people. And this is what Jesus did all the way mm-hmm. to death. Then he goes on to a more example, another example of this, which is to kind of include the Gentile believers. I like that. He includes us into the people of Israel mm-hmm. in the Exodus. And he goes, look, in the Exodus, when the people of God were in the desert, they had every spiritual advantage, right? Yes. The rock that had water followed them all through the desert. Yeah. I mean, manna showed up. The cloud was there to protect them from fire at night. Mm-hmm. Baptized in the Red Sea. I mean, everything. Yet, he says, God was displeased. Why? <laughs> Why was God displeased with so many people in the desert yeah. when he was giving them? Because they were unfaithfully breaking, they were breaking God's covenant by worshiping other gods. And it worked itself out through sexual immorality, grumbling or testing God, complaining. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was all things that are destroying your relationship with God. Right. So Paul brings this up to say, y'all, don't just feel safe because you're partaking of the Lord's Supper. You're doing this thing. Mm-hmm. You're baptized or you're partaking of the Lord's Supper. Don't feel safe in that. Right. Well, what are we supposed to feel safe in? That's the right question. You're supposed to feel safe in Christ mm-hmm. and your union to him. Mm-hmm. Just like I feel safe in my, my marriage mm-hmm. because I'm married, but the safety and the assurance comes from I only hang out with my wife. Yeah. I put my time and energy into that relationship. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And so um, he's like, don't misplace your confidence into your own strength. It is kind of, I think these examples are almost like, did you ever remember? This is like a 70s thing. They used to take rebellious kids to the prison. Scared straight. Scared straight. And Paul is kind of going, look, we're at the point in the conversation where you should know your identity. You should know who you are. Mm-hmm. And now it's time to be a little bit scared straight. Yeah. Because I love you guys. You're my kids. And then he says, temptation is common. Now, this is a funny passage. Only it's funny because of the way I've interpreted it uh, throughout yeah. my life. Basically, he says, no, there's, all temptations are common to man, but yeah. God always provides a way of escape, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, in my little adolescent brain and growing up in a Christian church, I always thought, God, I'm feeling really tempted to do something naughty. Yeah. Where's my escape hatch here? Yes. Are you going to give me a diversion? Or you didn't? I was going to steal something and you didn't have someone I know walk by and say, hi, Adam, I'm not going to steal it now. Thanks, God. Because he's not talking about, again, that's through the lens of individuality Mm -hmm. and through the lens of an eight ball telling Mm -hmm. you to go left or right. These are much bigger themes. And I'm realizing today that the escape from temptation is the same as the people in, in the Exodus. It's the same to us today. Yes. Turn from idolatry, expose it, recognize it's wrong and say, God, forgive me. Mm-hmm. Your escape is the Lord's Supper, the yeah. God's people. It's repentance. Yeah, it's repentance and forgiveness, confession and absolution. That's the way of escape to yeah. every common temptation. Because mm-hmm. whether you fall into it or you aren't, and I'll tell you, the more you uh, have victory over it, the more momentum you get in that way, and there's more freedom. Because you get tired of going, God, I sinned again. God, yeah. I sinned again. That's why we repent too. Yeah. Um, and then it moves into idolatry, right? Yeah, he says, uh, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to you, I speak as to sensible people. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I, th- I think you guys I think understand you guys this. I, like, I understand you're living in a city with 12 idolatrous temples. Yeah. But uh, you should understand that eating a meal 
has religious significance. You of all people should understand this. Right, because you eat the body and blood of and drink the blood of Christ. So you should understand that that is a spiritual union between you and your God, much like when you go to the temples and eat the meat dedicated to Zeus or Athena or whatever, that that is a connection, a spiritual connection to them, to demons. So you should stop doing those things. Right. And so you're talking to people who were caught up. And, And just to remind everybody, these temples were the places they're like nightclubs slash restaurants slash felt like the why you show up at a temple and you're going to eat a great meal. You're going to get drunken and you're going to partake in some kind of prostitution fertility. These are all the things because you're trying to incite this God to bless you with fertility, bless you with food and protection, bless you with joy, but it's all counterfeit stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's a word here. We don't have time to get into all of it, but the koinonia which is the fellowship or the sharing and the participation. Again, Paul is really getting as poignant as he can possibly get. Yes. That when you partake in the koinonia of the church, the fellowship, there's acceptance and agree. you agree upon things. And it, it culminates in the Lord's Supper right. where you're, we get the unity maybe with each other. Yes. We're sharing this body. And, maybe, and then we have to understand the, the unity with Christ. But the way we understand this unity is important. Paul says you do it spiritually by faith, but you also do it physically yes. by putting the thing in your mouth. <laughs> and so the connection between physical and spiritual is Jesus Christ. He's mm-hmm. all man, all God. It's so important. You now, when you partake of the Lord's Supper, are partaking it with heaven and on earth. So mm-hmm. the saints here and the saints up there. Yes. And so you are receiving all the benefits of that, plus you're being forgiven of your sins. There's actual unity. I mean, and its its high point is at the Lord's Supper. So literally, Paul has to break down. When you go into a temple or you, you, you partake of this stuff, sexually, in drunkenness, any kind of mm-hmm. thing there, um, but really in the meal, the eating, yeah. you are uh, worshiping demons. Mm-hmm. It says it. The idols are demonic. Um, and you can't do that. Right. So flee idolatry. And now in our day, I have to say for us, idolatry still works itself out. Funnily, funny enough, we still find a lot of comfort in drunkenness and in sexual promiscuity mm-hmm. and in, um, agreeing to what the culture says to agree. And so he yeah. says, flee this. And so for us, the idea of idolatrous God would be anything that we expect good from and take refuge in in times of distress. Yes. That is a God to you. So if it's mm-hmm. money, if it's sex, if it's pornography, it's whatever comforts you or you think promises you or it's dating and being promiscuous thinking, oh, I'm going to be loved. Right, right. Um, whatever it is, it's a high place that needs to be broken down and God will break it down and forgive you. But you cannot mix the body and blood of Christ with that stuff and yes. think that it's going to okay. just work out. Yeah. But yeah, because very... in the same way that uh, just because the Israelites in the wilderness yes. had the cloud above them, Perfect. the fire at night, they were not saved by those things. In the same way, I want to run a marathon, but don't want to jog until the day of the marathon. I want to eat whatever I want. Yeah. Sorry, it just, you got to choose, you got to be one way or the other. Yeah. Are you in or not? And then he gets, you want to work this out. He gets very specific because they're still going. 
Well, he kind of goes full circle on it. He does. He's like, okay, now back to your specific questions. Because mm-hmm. you have to understand the philosophy mm-hmm. before you figure out the the what to do or not to do. And that's really what people want. Just tell me what to do. Yeah. Don't tell me what to do. And that's where he breaks down. Here's, here's my suggestion for you on how to handle these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, well, I love how he, he now completes the circle by going, repeating, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Right. And so... He does repeat that. It's so cool. Uh, and so he, he's like, all right, I understand your context. I understand that just to get meat, it's going to be difficult because every, every slice of meat you know has most likely been dedicated to one god or another. And well, so, it's on the market, so yeah, yeah, it is messed up. It's all like so all there's mixed farms, up. farms, but there's also temple meat yeah. and all this stuff. And it's like, it's all mixed up, and you're part of a, and all the marketplaces, everyone's part of a guild that it's has to a, worship a god. It's and an god. economy, it's a messed up cultural economy. Right? And so he's like, look, I understand you live in this, and you're trying to figure it out. So, look, if you go to the market, and you're just trying to get some meat for your home, that's fine, who cares? Grab it. Don't Eat ask. It. Don't ask. Just get it. Um, and just remember that it's all from God anyways. Yeah. Uh, but if you have... But if it's ever clearly aligned to demonic or idolatrous worship... Right. Then just abstain. If you're in a temple and it's clearly being set apart for yes. that, if you go to an unbeliever's house and you're like, this is meat dedicated to Athena. Right. Uh, let's partake and you go oh i'm good thanks or if an un- or if a believer goes if you're being served food and an unbe- and a- another brother is like uh, don't you know that's been offered up to an idol yeah then you go oh cool all right and to not mess the other brother up you go cool all right we're not going to eat that i mean paul pretty much covers the two places so you're going to be eating at a temple restaurant or mm-hmm. you're going to be eating at an unbeliever's home if you're right. not on your own. So if you're on your own, you're free. So if you're in the temple, yeah. So to me, it was what I clearly saw this time. If it's involved in any of that, don't do it. Yes. The thing I liked about it, though, with the if you're at an unbeliever's house, it changes my idea of uh, evangelism and witnessing, right? Mm-hmm. So we always think of, oh, if you need to evangelize and witness to your neighbor, you need to go kind of present an intellectual case right. for faith and mm-hmm. say, now do you want to marry Jesus? Whereas Paul's idea of evangelism is you're in an unbeliever's house. They're like, praise Athena. Let This meat has been sacrificed. Let's, let's eat it. Mm-hmm. You say, I can't, because uh, table fellowship is koinonia. It's mm-hmm. like, we agree with one another. You, that's where you say, hey, I can't do that. I worship this God. And it makes it uncomfortable, but those people respect it or they don't. Yeah. But that is also a chance to share the gospel with somebody. And so Paul's like, this is a chance to share the gospel. Now, here's what that changes for me. We always come from our perspective. What am I I supposed to do in these situations? So I either just go, oh, well, I accept it, and I mingle Mm -hmm. my unity with Christ with with the unity of... And what Paul's saying is, you change your whole perspective. Mm -hmm. Your perspective is, what is God's perspective on this? It's like when you realize, oh, what is my coach's perspective? I understand why he doesn't want me to go out and party on this. Oh, what is my wife's perspective? I understand right. why she doesn't want me to go have lunch and see a movie with some woman. All right. God's perspective is, I don't want you to be corrupted and, uh, and lose like they did in the Exodus. Yes. I don't want you to lose this. And that's a whole, Paul's whole thing, which is so good. So like, instead of always going... Well, I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do, and I like it or I don't. It's what's God's perspective? 
Right. And he's made it clear, you're free to eat, you're free to love a brother, you're free to share the gospel however you can. And we don't want to confuse the gospel. My last example is like when, years and years ago, I went to, uh, I, my wife's family is uh, Asian, and we went mm-hmm. to like a Buddhist, Buddhist yeah. temples for Tet. And I was young, man, 19, I didn't know much, but you're just supposed to like, it's, a, it's just custom. It's not even, wor- they wouldn't call it worship, but you're mm-hmm. supposed to bow at these kind of altars and things set up to ancestors, and, and I just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't do it. And it was okay, and everybody knew, oh, I'm a Christian, I can't do that. Yeah. Oh, okay. And they got over it, and um, it is what it is. God uses it however he uses it. Mm-hmm. But that's the, when you get to these passages, instead of focusing on someone else's conscience or your conscience, we don't just go, oh, because someone says, I don't like that you do that, and you're making me stumble. It's not about that. Right. It's about, no, let's look at this from God's perspective. And my, my weaker brother brings up a good point. Yeah. This is this has been sacrificed to uh, false gods, and so we give. That's where the last verse is. So in everything, give glory to God. Yes. You know what I mean? Have you ever used that verse? What is that verse? Um, in whether you eat or drink. Yes. Um, in all things, give glory to God. Right. In everything you do. And like we used to use that verse, uh, you know, before we play a soccer game or something, or you mm-hmm. use that verse kind of in a different way. But he's very specifically saying, look. The perspective now is you give glory to God. If that glory is being diminished or right. confused, don't do it. Just, we just don't do it. That's yeah. the rule. Mm-hmm. So what do I do? Give, figure out how to give glory to God in this situation. Right. Just, yeah. How and, would you progress the relationship? And then Paul gets down to, back to the father imagery. Yeah. Just imitate me as I am of Christ. <laughs> just watch what I do. I know you guys don't get it yet. I've told you. The theory, I've given you the philosophy, I've given you the theology, I've given you everything, and then I broke it down on what to do and not to do. Mm-hmm. Just watch me. Thanks, Paul. I'm glad we don't have many fathers in the faith because uh, only fathers can we imitate like that. Anyway, thanks, Lord, for your perspective. Today I'm going to read Psalm 97. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world, the earth sees and trembles, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. All worshippers of images are put to shame, who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous, and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Boom! You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We'll talk to you next time.